0: Okay, assalamu alaikum, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. welcome to another amazing Saturday session. Um, I'm always so happy, like, uh, you know, like I get sort of nervous right beforehand because it's like we're, rushed and, you know, things to do, and then, you know, Sheikh is tired and preparing, he hasn't slept all night, and, you know, so there's always just that little bit of like, oh my God, and then as soon as we get here, I'm just, I'm so happy, so, (laughs) so welcome. First of all, I want to, like, give a shout out to our dear friend, Sally, who sent us gifts um, that were unexpected, there was no occasion, just purely out of love, and included in that was this camel t-shirt, which I totally fell in love with, and so I had to wear it, and, you know, I just said, this is my excuse to just ask everyone, how's your inner camel, so, I just yeah, thank you, Sally. It's really amazing. Um, and then just um, before we get started, um, I, last week when I was gone in um, California, um, I got an email, and I was I wasn't here, so I was sort of sad that I didn't have a chance to pass this on or, or do the appropriate thing. So I wanted to just share. Um, we have a dear friend of our sweet or in our Usuli community, um, Allah, who lost his grandfather um, last week. Um, I think it's been maybe, um, it was uh, June 15th that I got a message, and he asked if we could all pray for him, for his nana bai. Um, his grandfather was um, named uh, Muhammad Kaleem Allah. He was a devoted man of God who dedicated the last 30 years of his life to continuous worship. He was a poor and simple man, respected for his intelligence and known for his mild manner and quaint nature. He even managed to fast all 30 days last Ramadan. He was 95 years old. Um, despite doctors and all of his family advising him not to, he was a silent rebel and who did what he wanted, and um, even if it meant drawing closer to Allah. alhamdulillah. So, um, you know, I just wanted to ask if everyone could please pray for him. Um, and then also, if you haven't had a chance to watch the Suli um, Khutba yesterday, it was absolutely incredible, really powerful. Um, about what happens when you dare speak the truth. There was a teenage, or I mean, I guess a high school student, who is effectively valedictorian. She decided to stand up and speak truth and mentioned, dared mention, what's happening to the Uyghur um, Muslims in China, um, and dared mention, you know, other, um, I guess, Palestine and some other issues. And the people that were in the audience, the parents of her classmates, were so upset that they attacked her, um, and she ended up in the hospital which is just shocking. Um, But anyway, so the professor talked about that. Her name is Hoda. And it is, you know, our our job um, to, you know, stand by her, send her gifts, as the professor said, send her messages of support, pray for her, anything that we can, because this is what we need. Is we need our our children to, to learn to speak truth to power. Um, that's what's going to make a difference. Um, and it was uh, really beautiful because the professor was really speaking to her and said, you know, this was a really this was the right thing to do. But um, unfortunately, in our day and age, when you choose to speak truth to power, um, it comes. Uh, what what you end up with is a very difficult road and a lot. Of resistance, and you know, and, and in this case, um, even violence, which is just tragic and, and wrong. Um, but may God bless her and reward her for what she did, and, and may God empower her and give her strength to continue on. And may she be a source of inspiration for all of us, inshallah. Um, <clears throat> so, I wanted to um, just mark um, today is the um, one year anniversary um, of the start of the journey of Project Illumin. Um, it's not, I mean, it depends on how you count it, but 52 Saturdays ago we started with the first halakha on Surah al-Hadid. Um, and, you know, back then we had sort of no idea. We had sort of a dream. Um, and we, we didn't really quite know what was going to happen. But I actually I went back and I like looked back on YouTube to just sort of watch like that original halakha. And it was sort of interesting because, you know, when you go back in time and you try to remember, you know, we were sit- seated in our living room couch in Thousand Oaks. Doogie was barking, you know, I look stressed. It was like we were in the middle of the pandemic, you know, and I was just like, oh my God, where were we back then? You know, but it it feels like it was not that long ago in some respects, and in other respects, it feels like a million years ago, like so much has happened. And that was just, I mean, I say it's the start of the journey because that was the first halakha. And back then, you know, we were doing halakhas like this on um, a a monthly, sometimes every two week um, basis. And I just remember, like, how powerful it was um, to to sit through that. We obviously had started um, halakas um, on tafsir before that, and maybe I should go back a little bit um, and and really thank Sharif because you know when we um, started asuli um, doing tafsirs was not really part of the plan, um, but Sharif always had it in his mind that this was a really important. Thing that he he needed to make happen, um, and he used to just really get on the sheikh's case. You know, do Surah Rahman, do Surah Rahman, and you know, if you watch any of the old videos, you know that finally, when the the sheikh decided to do Surah Rahman, it had taken six years of prodding and pleading and and pressure, um, and then he he finally um, gave in to that, um, and we started. Um, oh, actually, yeah, that's let's. Let, let Allah in. I don't know if you can get on seven. It was seven years. Okay, just to, to be sure. I just want to say salam alaikum. Allah. I just um, when you get a chance to, to replay back, I, I asked everyone. I shared what about your grandfather, and hopefully, you know, everyone will pray. And so may God bless his soul. I'm, I'm happy that you just joined us on the interactive group. So, um, and I read the little story about who's a silent rebel. Totally cool. <laughs> so um, anyway. Um, so just to go back, you know, we, we, doing tafsirs was really not ever part of the plan, and Sharif, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah succeeded in convincing, you know, the Sheikh to, to start this journey. Um, and when we started, it was really just in a traditional line-by-line tafsir. Um, and, you know, we, we loved having those, you know, once a month. And then when we started doing Project Illumin, it was a completely different different kind of experience, because now it was personal. You know, now it was like this is what he, you know, um, spent his entire life dedicated to studying first and then praying on and then to actually share these things. Um, And so at that time, every time we would get like, you know, one halakha, you know, Surah Hadid, it was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. When can we do it again? Um, And we'd have to wait a month or we'd have to wait two months and be like, okay, what's next, you know? And I think sometimes we forget like, just how, like, we were just, you know, everyone was so excited and waiting, but you had to be patient to get the next one. Um, and in contrast to where we are now, where it's like, holy cow, we're getting one every few days, and it's like hard to keep up, and it's amazing, and it's not enough time to process. So it's, it's an incredible um, journey. And even back then, when we started, you know, in, in June last year, you know, Ohio was not even in, you know, there. Was, there's no sense of Ohio. No, Ohio was, like, just another place another part of the country. Um, and then, you know, it's we didn't even start thinking about Ohio until October, right? So it's not even been a whole year. So, you know, you think you have plans and God comes through and he's like, Nope, this is what you're doing. <laughs> so since then, you know, we've packed an entire 100,000 book library. Um, we you know, sold our, our homes in California. We, we moved across country with, you know, five trailer trucks. Um, since we've been here, the students have been incredible in, you know, putting together the library, building bookcases, sorting through books, trying to find homes. You know, we, um, hopefully, you guys are watching on social media to see the pictures of the transformation. Like it's fun when we go back and we just look at pictures of like this room that we're in now was completely full of boxes when we arrived, not even that long ago, um, and then now it's completely empty and, and the Arabic books are done and it's starting to look really incredible. It's just an exciting journey, you know. Um, and I, like, even, um, you know, last night we had a, um, a reflection group, um, and I think what was very, oh, okay, I think what was really striking about it is it was one, of, it was probably one of the best reflection groups we had where we all ended up in tears, <laughs> so, and, you know, you see, like, when you start thinking about, like, you know, where you were even six months ago, um, and where your headspace was, and just, you know, after halakha, after halakha, after, mm-hmm. after halakha, and just how it transforms you, it transforms your insides, you know, even just, like, when I looked at um, you know the, the Halakha for, for Surah Al-Hadid a year ago, looking at myself, like I felt like, gosh, you look tired. You're not smiling. What's up with you? You look irritated. You look, you know, annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> and then now I was just like watching back, you know, like the story, you know, like some of the Halakhas is that I've given in chairs here. And it's like, wow, you know, I just, I feel like I, I, I genuinely smile more. I'm not as stressed. I'm, I'm happy because I'm, I'm genuinely just, I feel so blessed to be here studying and learning all of this. So it's exciting to go back and see your own transformation, and and you know, um, and even more so. Um, what's cool is like when I went back to see you know the the video a year ago, I noticed that one of the people who had commented had just found us a month ago, and said, "I just found your channel." You know, alhamdulillah, and um, you know, and we still get you know messages from people who are so excited to find us, and then they you know send their laundry list of questions you know it's like oh my god I found you okay here are all the things that I really need an answer to like now you know things that have been preventing me from from believing in my faith or reconnecting with my faith Um, and so you know I um, I just wanted to say you know I'm so grateful like I I always feel like um, you know certainly I've said before when I am getting ready, even for this introduction, I always pray, you know, please, God, help me, um, you know, to, to say what you want me to say. Help me, you know, to say something that someone needs to hear. Um, and, you know, like, when I think about someone starting on this journey, you know, and just discovering the Suli Institute, you know, I always feel like, okay, alhamdulillah, you know, God sent you here. Um, and then they get so excited and they want to know. And, and so I would just say, you know, um, like looking at all the content we've produced, it's overwhelming, you know, there's just so much. It's like, where do you even start? And so I would just say to people who are just joining us or just coming on board, you know, wherever you are in your journey, just be patient and take your time and pray and ask God, guide me, you know, where do I start? What should I do? And I I feel like that's, you know, part of that, that building your relationship with God that's very powerful. And God brought you here at a particular time. Time and time again, we have so many stories of people who, found us when right at the right time in their journey. And I truly believe like, you know, because what, what we do here is, is advanced, it's it's you know intense. No one wants to sit through a six hour video on YouTube, but they do, you know, and God sends them when they're ready to do that. Um, and so and that's why I, I also you know we talk a lot about how you know we don't have that many followers. But for us it's like it's not a numbers game. It's it's a game for you know it's for when you and your soul are longing and you are ready to do the hard work. Um, of really starting to develop your relationship with God and change and transform. Um, Because I I truly believe if you genuinely want to transform and build your relationship with God, everything is here for you. And um, even though there's an ocean of knowledge, I believe that if you ask God to direct you, even if you're searching through whatever video and something looks interesting and you click on it, that that actually God can direct you very easily to what you need to hear when you need to hear it. Um, so, um, you know, it's an incredible journey. You know, we started here in uh, the end of January, so with Surah El-Tour, and then went into the deep immersion advanced, like, you know, knock you off your socks version, like, you know, try to sink or swim version. Um, but alhamdulillah, you know, it's, it's like, it's amazing. I mean, I, I even think, you know, like, thank you, Mara, again, like, for coming up and doing the introduction. I was reminded of when I started, when we started Usuli. Um, and I used to have to literally write out every single word I wanted to say in the introduction because I was too scared, you know, like, okay, I'm going to say something bad, I'm going to say something wrong, you know, and I would literally like write it all out and I would memorize it and I would practice it and I would get up here and I'd be like so nervous and then I would like blank out and freak out, you know, and, and now I feel like alhamdulillah, you know, It's I've done these now enough where you know i can just write like a few notes like this and think about you know what i want to say and ask god to help me and alhamdulillah it just feels a lot more natural so it's just a journey everything is a journey everything is a learning everything takes its time needs its patience needs its hard work commitment and you know and and god front and center i mean that's the most important thing so i'm so grateful for these sessions and i just wanted to have an opportunity to say thank you to everyone here um, Especially after that teary-eyed, you know, (laughs) reflection group. We all had to, like, wipe each other's tears. Um, But, you know, it's like we didn't start that way, you know, and and that's where where we are now, and I'm so grateful. So, inshallah, may we have many more tears, much more knowledge, um, much more um, connection with God, and, and many more people who join us on this journey. Alhamdulillah.
1: Sula Rahman Rahim, Sulat was Sulam Alam Mohammed, while Ali was hobbing Tabo Behsani, Bilayom, again along Shahi Sodri, was certainly only a hundred and the study of Koko. Inshallah, today we're going to do Surah Shura and. um There is a lot to say about Surah Um We've already alluded, or I mentioned Surah Tashoora in the context of uh, talking about other surahs, particularly Surah Fussilat, um, which was revealed right before Surat al and Surah al-Zukhruf which we did was revealed right after Surat al-Shura um, and if you remember what we said about Fusilat and uh, especially Surah Ghafir and Surat, uh, Surat Zumar and then Surat Ghafir, and then Fussilat, uh, which were the Surah leading up to Surat Shura. Um, so in, in order of revelation, Surat Shura is most likely number 62 in order of revelation. And, um, and obviously, then it 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 is a late Meccan surah. It is well after, well after um, uh, Surah Al Isra, and it belongs to the group of surah that were revealed leading up to the Hijra, sort of setting the the groundwork and setting the foundations for the Hijrah of Muslims from uh, Mecca to Medina. Uh, Surah al-Shura is, is uh, it's also interesting in, in particular regard in that it is among the hawamim among the seven suar that are known as the hawamim of the quran hawamim and as you remember there are the surah surahs, the surahs that begin with ha-mim and the hawamim as i've mentioned before have a particular nature to them that they are sort of the the constitutional heart and core of the quran um, they, within the Hawamim, you will find the ethical core of the Qur'an. But Surah al-Shura, all the Hawamim begin with Ha'amim, and then right after Ha'amim, there is some reference to the Qur'an itself, or to the revealed book. So, all the huwaimim will say something like "Huwaimim, ذلك kitab la rayba فيه," or some statement about this book being a decisive book, a book from Allah subhanahu wa taala, a a a, a book of, that establishes truth, etc., etc. But Surah to Shura doesn't do that. It is the only surah of the Hawamim that doesn't begin with a statement about the book, but has a very different beginning. But then there's another noteworthy aspect about Surah tushura, is it is the only surah of the Hawamim that starts with Mim and then has a series of three letters after the ha'mim. So it is ha'mim, ayin, sin, qaf. And why that is so has given rise to a lot of speculation in the tradition why of all the Hawamim, this particular surah starts with the expected Ha'amim, but then the unexpected three letters, A and C and Qaf, and why doesn't it, like the other Hawamim, affirm or have some declaration about uh, the Quran as God's revealed book, And as you know, that there is really no way that we can find out. There is no reliable set of reports or otherwise that tell us what these letters mean. Uh, Although there there have been a lot of theories and a lot of, you know, whether numerology or whatever. And... um, with Ain, and Qaf, there are various theories that were that have been proposed. Um, um, you know, I, I, there, there's no point in going through through them because. But some of them, uh, you know, for instance, said that Ain stands for uh, knowledge, ilm, uh Sin stands for um, Sana um, I'm not even sure how to translate Sana. um, um, uh, what is Sana? How do you translate it? Um, It will come to me. I'm, I'm blanking out on on what's in uh, in English. There's a word for it, but uh, uh, another. Uh, um, it's not an. It's not one of Allah's uh, uh, so-called names, but it it is like an a characteristic of a divine condition, um, a, a, which combines in the meaning benevolence, illumination, um, the coming of goodness, and that qaf some have said stands for qudra or God's omnipotence and ability. Others have said a'in stands for Allah's, one of Allah's names, al-Aziz, um, the um, the, the omnipresent, the 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 the, uh, the all-powerful and independent. sin stands for salam. Um, again, another one of Allah's attributes, the source of peace and the source of security and tranquility. And kaf stands for qadr. Um, another one of these attributes of Allah. The the, the all-able and all-capable. But as I said, you know, n- none of it, we, we don't really, the, you can, it is all speculative as to what INC and Qaf means after the Hameen. Um And there are much more mystical interpretations um, that has to do with the language of jinn and, and things like that. Anyway, so what Sura to Ashura does, we'll see. It's it's a little bit, you know, I, I take a deep breath at the beginning because presenting it and and presenting what my take on it, is a little bit daunting because what Sura to Shura achieves to put it, to put it mildly, I do not know how one can be a Muslim and not understand Surat al-Shura. Um, Surat al-Shura comes at this critical juncture before Muslims are going to embark on creating not just a social experiment but a civilization. And it affirms and sums up and underscores some of the very basic foundational heart of the faith. And as you will notice, that many of the themes that have been raised in Surah Al zumar Surah Ghafir, Surah Fusilat are then carried forward and um, developed in surah Ashura shura in a specific way. First, uh, 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 I should mention also that surah Ashura shura the, the established name of the surah now is a shura. Um There are early traditions where that proposed that surah t shura would be called literally surah t-ha''mim, that didn't survive. Um, there was a some early traditions that refer to Surah Ashura as Surah Ain Sin Qaf. Uh, that tradition didn't survive. Uh, the the prevailing tradition that did survive was to call Surah Ash-Shura by that name, Ashura. And obviously, the word Ashura occurs in the Surah. The shura occurs the, that word occurs twice in the Quran, and the first time that it occurs in surah to, is in surah to shura, and uh, that's why surah to shura is known as surah to shura. Now, shura, we normally understand the word shura by the way that it is used in surah to shura and later on in the Quran when it's used again, uh, to mean consultation, and we'll talk m- more about this, but a-, a form of consultation. But it is important to n- note something about that that term, shura that has to do with the origin of the word itself. Yes, shura is consultation, but shura, as we will see, also connotes a form of temkin. A temkin means empowerment, the production of goodness. So, in fact, in in linguistically, we say ishtar uh, al naka when we are assessing whether a we can copulate cattle. So we we use it in reference to the production of and in, 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 in copulation of cattle and the uh, procreation of cattle. The more common uses for um, shura, or the, the origin of the word is shar al-asal, which refers to the production of honey. So you you notice when, when bees produce honey and the process by which bees produce honey. So the term is fascinating because the term refers to the process by which or the dynamic by which some goodness is produced. In usage, one of the aspects of that goodness is that, and we'll talk more about this, but I'm just flagging the main issues now, uh, is when people make decisions through a dynamic that, Maximizes their input and therefore maximizes the result. And you will notice that collectively, Surah surah is very much about the foundational principles for the creation of goodness at a collective and social level. Okay, so Surah Tushura then begins, and as we said, an, an unusual beginning for one of the Hawamim, كذلك يوحى اليك والى الذين من قبلك الله العزيز الحكيم كذلك يوحى اليك Sorry. يوحى إليك والى الذين من قبلك الله العزيز الحكيم العزيز الحكيم as if it is a continuing discourse as if but we know that it is the beginning of the discourse because this is 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 underscored by the hat meme. So it is not left. It's not that we are we we are re- continuing a surah, uh, 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 it, it is not sort of sort of sort of like uh, just a continuation of another surah, but it the beginning of the surah itself by saying thus. It flags something that becomes clear once you understand Surah T'Shura, that it is preceded by um, a buildup of meanings that were communicated through the previous Surah Zomar, Zumar, ghafir, and Fussilat, and we'll 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 elaborate on this. So, thus, does God reveal unto you and unto those before you, Al Aziz Al Hakim, the Mighty and Wise. Notice the very beginning of the surah, it right away connected the prophecy of Muhammad to the ongoing dynamic of Allah's prophecy to humanity. And so I don't hold you in in, in suspense Because Surat Ashura is going to deal with a sociological reality and that's the reality of differences among human beings. In our modern language, diversity. So, thus or like this, does God reveal unto you and unto those before you. ما في السماوات وما في الأرض وهو العلي العظيم. تكاد السماوات يتفطرن من فوقهن والملائكة يسبحون بحمد ربهم ويستغفرون لمن في الأرض. ألا إن الله هو الغفور الرحيم. This will take us to verse, up to verse six. So like this, Allah, or thus, Allah reveals to, to you and to those before you. And to God, belongs everything in the heavens and everything in the, on earth and God is the most exalted and god is the most magnificent the heavens the expression is remarkable the heavens are nearly rent asunder, nearly torn apart, while the angels praise God,, they praise the hymns of God, and seek forgiveness and pray for forgiveness for those on earth. And as to those who take partners, awliya, or protectors, aside from God, you have no authority or control over them because you're not a guardian over them. Now pause and reflect at this beginning. You Muhammad and your followers in receipt of this revelation are part of an ongoing cosmic process. You live in your, uh, you live with your affairs on Earth. But you don't realize the realities beyond the, the physical dimensions in which you live. And if only you would realize these realities, you would realize... The Allah's magnificence Allah the Exalted Allah which you cannot conceptualize as we will see in Surah al is such that the heavens are nearly torn apart is in response to this magnificence. It is as if not just your realm on earth, but all the realms in the cosmos are held together by Allah because if Allah would let go, they would be torn asunder. They would just all become separate and apart. This is central in laying the difference between you human beings and a reality that you cannot conceive and cannot truly understand, and that is the reality of divinity. Now, and there is A constant presence of pure benevolence and mercy. Angels that are constantly not just supplicating God, but praying for forgiveness for human beings. but praying for forgiveness for what? You're given that, you get closer to the theme as in Surah al it tells you, Muhammad, understand that this world is full of people who rebel against God and who take protectors and partners, they do something that if the cosmos, if God would give the cosmos a choice, the cosmos itself would fall apart, would combust from the pure insolence Of those who do so but the cosmos doesn't fall apart because God holds the cosmos together and not only not only that but it is God that wills that the angels pray for forgiveness for and mercy for human beings because God doesn't need the angels to pray for mercy and and forgiveness It is a pure act of benevolence. So if the cosmos doesn't fall apart and if the angels continue to pray for human beings, even those who are most rebellious against God and even those who don't believe in God and who take all types of partners, you are but, are you are but a messenger you are no guardian A more eloquent statement of modesty is not possible but it is like drawing a painting because part of this dynamic of modesty, And the dynamic of Shura, as we will see, is that you understand your place in the cosmos. And you understand that foul things that human beings commit, it is only the benevolence of God that allows, that gives them the freedom to do what they do, whether for better or for worse. Now, this expression, remember that first, Allah doesn't need the prayer of angels. And so what role does the prayer of angels for Allah to have mercy and forgiveness for human beings, even those who it is in a realm that we do not understand. Do these prayers, in fact, prevent the cosmos from falling apart? But we know that the prayers are not going to sway God one way or the other. That's not the point. But the, the, the prayers is an ongoing reality of mercy and benevolence. As some of the more inspired minds in the Islamic tradition said, If only every person who thinks of committing evil would realize that this universe is surrounded by angels who witness and whose hearts are broken because of the evil committed, and would remember that while you are busy having fun and indulging yourself, God has created beings that do nothing but ask for forgiveness for you and mercy for you. Perhaps a human being would be struck by a level of shame and would in fact refrain from doing that when they think. When perhaps when they think that this cosmos realizes the greatness of god and can't contain that greatness and it takes an affirmative act from the divine to keep this cosmos together well this cosmos is kept together hopefully so that you will not simply indulge yourself but that you will do good And if a human being truly remembers this, then perhaps they would feel ashamed about doing what's wrong. Allah has held the cosmos together and the angels are in a constant state of supplication. And what do I do? I offend. But regardless, you, Muhammad, you don't control them. And if Muhammad doesn't control them, a priori, the followers of Muhammad don't control them. So, right out, you are confronted by that reality about diversity and difference. Yes, sin and kufr. And blasphemy and all the wrong things are in full view of the divide, but the will of the divide is that people have the choice. What is it? This is now seven. And thus we revealed unto you an Arabic Quran so that you can warn Umm Al-Qura, that's Mecca, the mother of Cities, Mecca. And those around Mecca, around the Mother Umm uh, um, Quran, and understanding that ultimately some will go to heaven and some will go to hell. Farikun wa The only thing I want to just say is that when when you say Ummu Kura wa Man Hawlaha, it doesn't necessarily mean the close proximity around Mecca. Man Hawlu Ummu qura and the reason it's referred to as Ummu Qura, it's as if saying that Mecca is the center, and what is around Mecca is the entire universe that is around. So it, it, the point of the, this ayah is to say the center is Mecca. This is way before the Qibla is moved, changed, from Jerusalem to Mecca. But the foundations are being laid down for what will come. And then we get to the heart of the matter, وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لجعل أمة لَجَعْلَهُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدًا وَلَكِنْ يُدْخِلُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ فِي رَحْمَتِهِ وَالظَّالِمُونَ مَا لَهُمْ مِنْ وَلَيٌّ وَلَا نَصِيرٌ If God would have willed, God would have made all human beings but a single Ummah, a single community. But this is not what God wills, and some, through God's will, will enter God's mercy. And the unjust, they have no true ally and no true recourse. After Surah al Shura, the Qur'an will repeat several times the same basic idea that if Allah would have willed, you would have been all created without differences. But your language is different, your ethnicities and race is different, your gender is different, Your habits and traditions are different. That is part of Allah's will. But as you will see, what is not different is the ethical core of humanity. And I'll show you this in a second. So then, I have, I have nothing really to say about nine. Let's skip to ten. Omachta left him in shay in Fahukmu illallah. Zalikumullah, who Rabbi Alehi Tawkaltu, Alehi Unib. If you disagree about something then judgment should be to God. Now, in Islamic law, this becomes not that surprisingly a very big deal because a lot has been written about um, uh, a lot has been written about how that impacts law and you know the mechanics by which we ascertain god's judgment etc etc and so for instance in in a lot of the tradition you'll find written that this statement does not apply to the practice of ishtihad because ishtihad produces different opinions. Why? Because Ishtihad at the time of the Prophet, والسلام, was not permitted, was not possible. The Prophet is there. He could answer the questions. But after the death of the Prophet, والسلام, then this statement doesn't undermine the legitimacy of Ishtihad or the legitimacy of the search for the divine law and the inevitability of different opinions about what God wants. But more to the heart of the matter is, for instance, what al razi says. So he says, and I'll read it in Arabic first, Al-Murad minhu أن الأمور التي لا, لا اختلاف فيها باختلاف الشرائع وهي الإيمان بالله والملائكة وكتبه ورسله واليوم الآخر والإيمان يجب الإعراض عن الدنيا والإقبال على الآخرة والسعي في مكارم الأخلاق والإحتراز عن رذائل الأحوال Allah says, when the Prophet is alive, when Allah says, if you disagree about something, judgment belongs to God, it's a straightforward matter. We go to the Prophet and say, Prophet, tell us what God's judgment is. But after the death of the Prophet, more fundamentally, what this means is, if you human beings disagree, there is a backbone to humanity. And as we'll see in the rest of Surah, that this backbone to humanity is where God's judgment is. You ought not disagree about this backbone. Well, what is this backbone? It's belief in God, belief in angels, belief in the revealed books of God, and belief in makarim al-akhlaq, belief in virtue and ethics itself. وَالِحْتِرَازْ عَنْ رَزَائِلِ الْأَحْوَالِ and the necessity of the duty of refraining from what is immoral and wrong. So there it is like there is a plane, a, a, a field where we, as we, again, the this, this Surah Tashura builds upon each, each other. Its parts are cumulative. So, just hold on to your hands. That, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that فَحُكْمُوا إِلَى Allah that it, it is judgment belongs to God in the post-prophetic period. We search for the ethical core. The ethical core, which as long as you are dwelling within this ethical core, we say you are still within the realm of the divine. And when you deviate from the ethical core, Although we might not have an authority over you to force you to come to the ethical core, but nevertheless, you must be cognizant that you have now deviated from the realm of the divine. And the unjust, and the unjust, when Allah says that they have no ally, وَلَا And no one that will aid them. Yes, Allah is talking about the hereafter. But also Allah is saying this normatively. Meaning, the unjust, in the same way that in the hereafter, they will have no ally and no one that supports them. Normatively, they ought not have on this earth allies or supporters. Put differently, if the unjust have allies and supporters, you have already deviated from Hukmullah, you have already deviated from God's rule. And so, for instance, a Qurtubi and this is just a sample of the, of the type of discourses that this, um, these areas of, um, Razi has a very long discussion, but the Qurtubi says, Al-usool al-latih la takhtalifu fiha al-shara'a hiya tawhid wa wa-salah zakaa was wa-siyam wa-al-haj wa ada al-amana wa-silat al-rahm tahrim al al-kuf wa-qatl ad وإزاء والإزاية للخلق والاعتداء على, الحيو على الحيوان واقتحام الدناءات ويا وما يعود بخرم المرؤات فهذا كله مشروع دينا واحدا وصلة واحدة لم تختلف على السنه الأنبياء وإن اختلفت أعظارهم so what he's saying is that human beings can have different di- different laws, different religions, different systems of thought, different cultures. But that ethical core, according to Qurtubi, he says, Tawheed, monotheism, As-Salah, As-Siyam, hajj prayer, Giving to, supporting the poor, zakah in this context means that. Fasting and pilgrimage, he doesn't mean Islamic fasting or Islamic pilgrimage, but the, the, the concept of fasting and pilgrimage are in all religions and ought to be in all systems of belief. Beyond that, Adai amana honesty and faithfulness. Silat rahm kindness to kinsfolk, honoring your family ties. A qatl with zina, murder and fornication and adultery and hurting other people. and hurting animals. Um, here in this context, it means like, behavior that is selfish and uncaring. and الْمُرُعَاتِ Behavior that is treacherous and dishonest. So he says these ethical principles will be found in all religions. You could be a Muslim, you could be a Christian, you could be a Jew, but if you stick to that ethical core as within the context of diversity Allah is still the haqqab. Allah is still the ruler if you rebel against this basic ethical core basic ethical core then you've deviated from the realm of the divine we'll, we'll come back to this because there's more to say about it. left to outside. Father will as Wajan and Ami This is eleven. The originator of the heavens and the earth who appointed for you from amongst yourself mates and also appointed mates to cattle so that you may multiply thereby. ليس كمثله شيء. The study of Quran says, uh, "Not is like unto him." وهو السميع البصير. Yet he is the seer of all and the hearer of all. Now pause here because notice the beginning of Surah shura was to tell you that Allah is so different from anything you are familiar with. You simply have no frame of reference with the way that your brains are built, the way that your your bodies are built, to understand Allah who is hardly contained by the cosmos. If the, if Allah didn't hold the cosmos together. Or, not contained by the cosmos, uh, that, that's mispeaking, but hardly, the cosmos is hardly contained within itself. Core here is Remember that as you deal with your own diversity and as you deal with the search for the imperative of Allah being the judge amongst you. And as we said, Allah being the judge amongst you means the ethical core remember something very important yes Allah is the creator of the heavens and earth yes Allah sees all and hears all but Allah is unlike any other thing now why is this important because of a very simple thing. Don't project yourself unto God. Don't project your egotistical fights. Don't project your egotistical competition. Don't project your ego-filled disagreements. There are a lot of things that as human beings, you will care about a lot. But remember, Allah Allah is not like cheering for a country You see this among nationalists all the time. It's Allah is Egyptian, Allah is Iranian, Allah is Saudi, Allah is whatever. Allah is not the owner of a soccer team or a football team. Allah is not a gender. Allah is not about controlling women or disciplining men. Once you start the core to the project of piety that you are embarking on, is to understand that you cannot impute to Allah what dwells within your egos. Because of who you are as human beings, you are very different than what Allah is. Once you get into the trap of thinking of Allah in human terms, and we've encountered this already in, in, hinted at in earlier surah, But surah to Shura comes and just bluntly you know, just spells it out and says that once you're getting into that trap you will end up being among the dhalimun. You could end up imagining that Allah has a son. You could end up thinking that Allah needs to be crucified to forgive sins of people, you could end up thinking that Allah as a result exists there to just pamper you. And as so many Christians do, only if you accept accept Jesus Christ, He forgives all your sins. So God is there basically as your cheerleader. And as a result, It is Christianity, in fact, it is Christianity that has validated some of the worst atrocities that a human beings have ever confronted. Colonialism, you know, we don't because history is written by the 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 uh, the the victorious party. We don't pay attention to the role that Christianity played in in colonialism. And we often forget that colonialism exterminated not six million people, exterminated 40, 50 million people by the most conservative count. If history was written by non-Christians, you would all, it will all become common knowledge what role Christianity played in colonialism and in the extermination of native cultures all over the world. But the reason you have no clue about this is because it's Christians who mostly wrote history. And they consistently excluded or minimized the role that Christianity played in the atrocities and crimes of even the role that Christianity played in the Holocaust. How often do you hear anyone talk about the the role that Christianity played in the rise of Nazism and in the anti-Semitism of the Holocaust? Leave alone in the racism that exterminated the Incas and the Aztecs and the American Indians and the Palestinians and the Africans and, and you know just numerous, millions upon millions upon millions of people. Once you say that God just simply suffers to remove your sins and all you have to do is to accept Jesus Christ. That's a very dangerous theological move. But similarly when you say that God is like a human being he has a chosen people and favorites. Why? Why God did he choose an ethnicity? Just because. What do you mean just because? Are they superior to us? Well, of course, if you talk to modern Jews, they'll say, no, it's not that we're superior. It's just God wanted us to be an example to humanity for the good of all humanity. But why you? It's projecting human qualities unto God. And here at this critical juncture, listen, Muhammad, and your followers you're going to go now you're going to end you don't know this but allah knows this you're going to enter a new phase that you don't know about yet and that phase is going to be building the the state in medina i am telling you the pitfalls of humanity and if you project human qualities unto God and imagine that God is like you in any way and start thinking of God in human terms, you'll start doing things that we see modern Muslims do, like have a cow about whether a woman covers her hair or not. Really? Really? Go back to the ethical core. The law is but an instrumentality to the ethical core. It might get us there, it might not. It depends. If you have a good legal mind, that good legal mind will think about whether the law is a successful instrumentality to the core or not. A dull legal mind can only think about the instrumentality as its own objective. An uninspired legal mind, an unintelligent legal mind, can only think of the law as its own purpose. The De- lack knowledge and creativity they lack comparative epistemology they can't think outside the box okay fine but you moralists must watch over the lawyers to make sure that they don't turn god vis-a-vis the relationship between god and the law as if god is a king who wants his orders blindly followed or else. As if God will get pissed off if you don't, you know, pray this rata or that raka. It's not about being pissed off. This is not how we think about God. God wants you to pray the five prayers for your own good, for your own ethical core. Beyond the five prayers, is the realm of istihad. The beyond the the, the five prayers that obviously fasting Ramadan and zakah and you know the what the ethical core is, okay. But shay. Now in Sufi esque tafsir, you get tons of writings about leisakim shay. Nothing is like. Allah, but the only way I can present Surah Ash-Shura, I'm—I've I'm, decided not to talk about the Sufi-esque tafsir because my own take on Surah Ash-Shura is quite enough, and I don't want to lose you. Now, notice. That before Allah tells us that there is nothing like Allah, Allah precedes us with reminding us that Allah created us with a logic, the logic of aswaj, not just us, but the the the. Next in order of creation, mammals. As well with that expression, "yadraukum fee," um, the study Quran translates it as, um, "He multiplies you thereby." You can translate as multiply you thereby. To multiply you. To increase you. But you can also translate it as to protect you. To guard you. It has always... Caught my attention that while Allah tells us that having partners as well is a method of promoting us as human beings and even promoting animals, so here what it's talking about is companionship, not just procreation. But it comes it says in that same context that it reminds us of us is the context where it tells us, well Allah is a very different logic. no companionship, no partners. You don't have the terms to think about the magnanimity and the greatness of your Creator. يبسط الرزق لمن يشاء ويقدر in a different قراءة ويقدر إنه بكل شيء عليم. This is twelve. Mm-hmm. The بقاليد السماوات والأرض. The Islamic Quran says the keys of the heavens and earth. Makalid is the controls. He controls the heavens and earth. All the controls of the heavens and earth are in Allah's hands. And remember that something that we've, we've mentioned before in several surahs, that The blessings that you see people enjoy are not happenstance. What you have, you have because Allah willed it. Not because of coincidence or anything else. Then, another ألف الكرة مساجد السورة الشورى شرع لكم من الدين ما وصى به نوح والذي أوحينا إليك وما وصا وما وصينا به إبراهيم وموسى وعيسى أن أقيموا الدين ولا تتفرقوا فيه كبروا على المشركين ما تدعوهم إليه الله يشتبي إليه ما يشاء ويهدي إليه ما ينيب ولا تفرقو وَمَا تَفَرَّقُوا إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْعِلْمِ بَغْيًا بَيْنَهُمْ وَلَوْ لَا كَلِمَةٌ صَبَقَتْ مِنْ رَبِّكَ إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّى لَقُدِيَ بَيْنَهُمْ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُورِثُوا الكتاب مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ لَفِي شَكٍ منهم مُرِيبٌ Okay, so first third, uh, 13 What has been sent to you Muhammad is what has been sent to the prophets noah and ibrahim and musa and isa so he's mentioning the 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 main prophets but this goes back to a very critical point that it is the same the laws the particular laws that apply in it for each set of day, age, group might change. But the core of the message is always the same, whether to Nu alayhi salam or to Musa and Isa and or Ibrahim alayhu or to any of the other prophets. And as Surah Tushura will tell us, time and again, although the core of the message is the same, human egos always intervene to split up God's core message and to cause tafarruq. People start creating disagreements, sects, groups although it is the same message time and time again understand that although it is the same message time and again time and again for those that the Quran refers to as the Mushrikeen. Mushrikeen here are all those who have, who are, who were having a hard time, or resisting, accepting Muhammad's message, is that it's as if Allah is saying they react in, in, in the same way that you, that there were people who had a very time, hard time accepting Nuh's message or Moses' message or Isa's message. Or Ibrahim's message, th- we see the same thing with you. Although to you it seems a straightforward, innate, obvious, self-evident message. Kabura <inaudible> ma meaning that it's it's literally it's as if. Their egos won't permit them to embrace something so straightforward. They have, they can continuously or consistently have a hard time with it because, as straightforward as it is, to even tell them that Allah is like no other, laysake mithli shaykh. As Surah Tashura itself will tell us in a, in a second, they have a problem with that. Because their egos as such, unless they conceptualize something, conceptualize it even in the form of a of an idol, they, they can't they have they have a hard time with accepting it. Unless they can see resurrection demonstrated before their eyes they have a hard time with the idea of being resurrected. Unless they can see or meet a God, they have a hard time with accepting the idea of a God. (inaudible) It's, It's exactly that. It's like, you know, they, the problem is with their souls, with their imagination, with their intellect, with their conscience, but these types of people have always been there, with all the prophets. The Surah Quran, for 14, says they they did not become divided till after knowledge has come unto them out of envy among themselves, and were it not for a word that has proceeded from. Thy... Okay, I, I'm I'm gonna have to just paraphrase it because um, I mean, if you read the Surah Quran, you're not gonna get what it's talking about, right? It, so. Now, it's like saying, the Bushrakeen have always had a, a, a problem with, okay, don't worry about these people. What is the issue here? The issue is that time and time again, for this Surah fourteen has two possible interpretations, and I'll I'll tell you which one. Interpretation number one, time and time again, that those who did believe, after they believe, after they follow Moses, Jesus, Ibrahim, there. Uh, their um their egos what the what the um of what the Study Quran translated as envy. baghyan baynahum is not necessarily envy. Baghi by noam is because of their own inequities. Because of their own inequities, they consistently time and time again start having disagreements, having distractions. They split the religion into a million different sects and divisions. And ultimately, the original message, is time and time gone. The purity and straightforwardness and the transcendence of the original message. Why? Because of the egoism. Now, what is the egoism? When you say, I just follow what I grew up with. I just follow my customs and traditions I just follow what my the people of my nation I just follow the faith as articulated by my tribe, my clan, my nation, my people rather than going back to the ethical core. Remember the, see, the theme of a shura, al hukm bi Allah ruling by what God and we said it's the ethical core in, in the context of diversity. All of this is a very sophisticated treatment of diversity, and you'll see what the has to say about it. <clears throat> so that's interpretation number one. Interpretation number two says that what verse number 14 is talking about is that originally those people in mecca are the descendants of those who followed the prophet ismail they deviated from the past and they went back to idol worship with the passage of time and. As to Jews and Christians, both in the Torah and in the Injil, they are told, they have been awaiting the Messiah, the the coming prophet. But that both as to the original Meccans, they deviated from the original path, from the original message, and became idol worshippers again. And as the Christians of Jews, although they've been saying that when Allah sends, when God sends the Messiah, the awaited prophet, we will follow him. Once that God sent the awaited prophet, they refused to follow by now, Of these two interpretations, I think the first is the correct. In the context of Surah Al-Shura, because it is more consistent with the thrust of the Surah itself, that this is a Meccan Surah. It is It is not yet like Surah Al-Baqarah when it's, it's confronting the, in, in full-fledged confrontation the critiques of Jews and Christians. In Mecca, Jews and Christians are a theoretical possibility or a theoretical reality much more than an actual reality, what's far more present, are the kuffar. The, the Christians and Jews, will, will, they come into the picture really in, in full-fledged in, in Medina. That's one. But then the other is that if you look at the context of Surah the 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 ayah ayah number fourteen is that it is it's it's talking about the constant message that Allah sends to prophet after prophet and what happens to this message in the context of warning Muslims about what is to the challenges to come. And one of the biggest challenges is infighting. And the type of disagreements and the type of divisions that destroy the best of movements in history. And were it not for a word that has proceeded from thy Lord ولولا كلمة صبقت من ربك إلى أجل مسمى لقري بينهم وإن الذين أورثوا الكتاب من بعدهم لفي شك منهم ريم. Okay. So and ولولا كلمة صبقت من ربك. Literally it's translated had it not been or not for a word that had proceeded from thy Lord. But figuratively what it means is. That it is, understand that when you see people in dem, deviate and still exist, it is because of God's benevolence. In other words, if God would have willed, God would have exterminated all the diversity that you see, all the disagreements, all the sectarianism. It exists because God allows it to exist. But understand that its very existence, the fact that God puts up with you is because of God's benevolence. Not an accident. In other words, something that you should be grateful for. That despite the fact that you've mucked it up so badly, God still puts up with you. Is something that you ought to be grateful for. فَلِذَلَكْ This is one of the very few times that the Quran uses the word فَلِذَلَكْ Therefore linguistically it is something that when the Quran says that especially in this grammatical construction then you pay attention when Allah says therefore you say oh so God is delivering so the the the, the demand. فلذلك فادعوا واستقم كما أمرت ولا تتبع أهواءهم وقل آمنت بما أنزل الله من كتاب وأمرت لأعدل بينكم والله ربنا وربكم لنا أعمالنا ولكم أعمالكم لا حجة بيننا وبينكم Allahu Yajmau Bainana, Wailey Hilmosir. So let's unpack this Ledalic and therefore. Therefore, Fastakin Kama Umirt. Falizalik Fadu was talking Kama Umirt. First, Wadu wad'u call people to this faith okay that's that's the study quran says summon but it's wad'u from the word dawa like the word dawa to, to call people to a faith wastaqim kama umirt stand firm by what Allah has decreed to you. Now of course this is not just to the Prophet but to the followers of the Prophet. and don't follow whims and say I believe In what Allah has, in the books that Allah has sent. So you are communicating to them that the core of the message is the same. Although the implication here, which Allah says later explicitly, is that you've forgotten the core of the message. You've corrupted the core of the message. And my charge, what I am obligated to you to do vis a vis you is to treat you with justice. My God and your God is Allah. I have my deeds, you have your deeds. لَا حُجَّةَ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ Meaning, no arguments between us. We should not argue with one another. Because ultimately, we will all stand before God who will judge between us. Now, what is remarkable is that this is revealed in Mecca. Before the Hijrah, It is telling, it is preparing Muslims at the time who are hardly in survival mode, who don't even know if they're going to make it. But Allah knows they're going to make it. And Allah knows that the next challenge are Jews and Christians. And that would they're going to tell Jews and Christians who are going to come into the picture but the prophet didn't know it at the time is that it's one message people but I'm not going to argue with you because I know I'm not going to convince you you have a history of human egoism that corrupted things and ultimately, you God and my God is one. And ultimately, God is going to judge between us. My obligation is to treat you justly. Now, for people who are persecuted and disempowered, to tell them, tell Christians and Jews, my obligation is to treat you justly, it's the most laughable thing in the world. It, you know, it's like... It's like a a and can you imagine like a a, a poor oppressed um, I don't know Palestinian telling a Palestinian who lives under occupation tells Israelis you know I'm going to be I'm going to resolve all the disputes between you between you Israelis uh, in due time yeah you know, it it sounds insane. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what's going to come. And it's a remarkable crafting of the ethics of a stage to come. Knowing what Surah al-Shura is, do you know, subhanAllah, it's like I I went from a phase of like not wanting to share what I know about Surah al-Shura. That's the that's that's jealous phase. But then the phase where I feel very sad when I think of every Muslim that doesn't know what is in Surah al-Shura. وَالَّذِينَ <laughs> يُحَاجُونَ فِي اللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ لَهُ حُجَّتُهُمْ عِنْدَ this is now 16. Because the translation, again, is literal, but it, what, what it's saying is, the 16, is that as to those, there are those who answered Allah's call. There are those who, it's talking about those who believed and following following Muhammad But yet, among, they're surrounded by Meccans who are consistently trying to dissuade those who believed to renege, to leave the faith and is saying those who continue to argue to misguide and mislead those who have answered Allah's call their fate is not good does this have any relevance beyond the Meccan context well yes that you will see all the time in in our, even in in every lived society, those, you know, the the people who are pious, people who are God-fearing, people who are good Muslims, will often raise the ire of a certain type of people who are threatened by their piety. And they can't help themselves but try to convince them to you know, they'll either say something like, "Oh, you're you're so, you're too straight. You're 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 too conservative. Oh, you're too close-minded. You know, why don't you try this?" But if you, it's talking about these type of people, who are always eating. You know, they they they're, they're burning up with a certain type of vehemence towards those who answer God's call. And it's saying you're vermin, basically. And Allah is going to give you your due in the hereafter. Because it's not just that you, if you, it's one thing if you were misguided and kept it to yourself and just limited your damage to yourself. But you go after those who are guided because your uh, your ego can't handle it. You are threatened by other people's piety. Okay. And Allah, the end al-kitaba bilha. sorry, Allah, the end of the kitabah, the haqq, the end of يَسْتَعْجِلُ بِهَا الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِهَا وَالَّذِينَ آمَنْ وَمُشْرِقُونَ مِنْهَا وَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنْ حَقِّ أَلَا إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُمَارُونَ فِي السَّاعَةِ لِفِي ضلال بَعِيدٍ Okay, so this is now 17 and 18. First, let's, we'll, we'll do a, a little bit of stretching where we'll take 18 before 17. 18 is saying that Those who don't believe in the hereafter are often saying, well, why doesn't it come already? It's already been a thousand years. It's already been 2,000 years. It's already been 3,000 years. As if that passage of time with Allah and is parallel to to." This is precisely when God warns us about thinking God in human terms. Because if you think of God in human terms, yeah, then you think about, well, you know, it's been already 2,000 years since Jesus, it's been 1,400 years since Muhammad, why doesn't the hereafter come already? Well, that's, that, that's, thinking, that's projecting human logic onto God. As we will see, the Quran tells us explicitly That's nothing in God's time. That's but a minute. It's as if God has created the, the world but an hour ago. So those who don't believe are constantly taking the issue, the, the idea of the hereafter or the final day, um, was it, 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 not seriously and sort of mocking it or saying, why does it come? While a true sign of Iman is that you're actually apprehensive about it. The true sign of Iman is that you are worried about that time and about that day and about having to stand judgment. So, then let's go back to 17. Okay, I'm, I'm going to skip a quote. I'm just skipping a quote, not the discussion, so don't, nobody freak out. <laughs> recent um, okay. okay Allah who sent the book with truth al-haq that's understandable right what is mizan and the balance Balance means justice. Have you ever paused to think about what does it mean to say God sent the book with the balance? If you analyze it, it only has one possible meaning. One possible meaning was two parts. Part one is that the book is telling you about the balance, i.e. justice, in the hereafter. But how about the here now? To say God sent the book with the truth, okay, we sort of understand what that means. But to say God sent the book with justice. if you think of it as part two in the here now, meaning the book with the imperative of justice. So it's like saying, Allah is telling you, I've sent the book with the imperative of justice and Haqq. So, follow Haqq, the truth, and establish justice before you are surprised with the hereafter. If there was nothing in the Qur'an but this ayah alone about justice, it would be enough to make Muslims understand how core justice is to the Islamic message. If Allah is saying this book was sent with truth and justice means what? That if you don't have justice, you don't have the book. So all the Muslims that seem to think it's okay to live in injustice, it's a contradiction in terms. There is no Islam without justice. It is not because you call yourself the Islamic Republic or the Islamic Kingdom or the protector of the holy sites or the, I don't know, batteekh, whatever. That's not what's going to say that you are establishing the book. It is haq, truth, and justice. And it's Allah saying establish it before you're confronted with its inevitability in the hereafter. الله لطيف بعباده يرزق من يشاء وهو القوي العزيز ومن كان يريد حرصاً الآخرة نجد له في حرصه ومن كان يريد حرص الدنيا نؤته منها وما له في الآخرة من نصيب 19 Allah al-latif bi-ibadih. The study Quran says God is kind unto God's servants. Yarzukum uh, wa huwa al al aziz. The study Quran said God provides for whomever God's will, and God is strong and mighty. Okay, al-latif bi-ibadih. Al-lutf is kindness it's benevolence, it's God who uh, takes care of what God's created. And part of that is that God gives everything that you have everything that we human beings have. Whatever, whatever nama we enjoy is what God gives us. But then, Allah comes and says, in verse 20, whoever desires this earth, Allah will give him this earth. And whoever desires the hereafter, Allah will give them the hereafter. But whoever desires this earth exclusively, Allah will give them whatever they want in this earth, but they have no share in the hereafter. Now, Allah natifun ba'ibadah, that phrase, in Imam Junaid, Would say Lottafa be Auliai for Arafu, Walla Meaning, Allah's Lotf, Allah's kindness and benevolence towards Auliai, those the allies of Allah. Is what allows those allies to come to know Allah. However, it is because of Allah's kindness and benevolence towards Allah's enemies that Allah allows Allah's enemies to. to, to treat Allah with disdain and hostility. So your hostility, your disbelief in Allah is in itself a product of Allah's benevolence and kindness. So how kind and benevolent is Allah? As, as, again, in trying to understand Lutf, the, the idea of Lutf in Islamic theology is, is so critical that it, it boggles my mind that so many Muslims are raised without ever being educated in it. Part of Allah's Lutf, parts of Allah's benevolence is that those who believe in Allah لا يرجو إلا فضله that they, 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 what they covet is more of Allah's benevolence and kindness. But do you know what they fear? They fear God's justice. It's not that we fear Allah's anger. We fear Allah's justice. Because in our core, we know that if Allah treats us with the strict measurements of justice, we're in trouble. Think about that. You don't need to worry about Allah's anger. It's not personal. Allah is not going to be angry at you. What you need to worry about is that Allah is going to be just with you. strict measurements of justice. And what you actually want is Allah to overlook and to take it easy and not apply strict justice. Another thing you want to understand Allah's lutf, Allah's benevolence The nature of Allah's benevolence is Allah invariably treats with mercy and compassion every person who does not treat themselves with mercy and compassion. Again, reflect upon that. There are invariably, in all of our lives, there are numerous instances where the way we used our bodies, the way we used our wills, the way we used our relationships could have followed a desire But it was foolhardy because if we would have suffered the full consequences of our actions, the results would not have been merciful or compassionate upon ourselves. And yet Allah steps in and has mercy and compassion upon those who did not have mercy and compassion upon themselves. Every person who's fornicated and didn't get an STD, every cell in your body that could have turned cancerous and Allah knows it, but you don't know it. Numerous, numerous situations. This is repeated in a lot of Sufi literature, but it... If Allah would, at the moment of creation, would have told you, listen, I'm going to create you. It's an exercise to understand Allah's mercy. I'm going to create you and send you in this earth. On this earth, I'm going to create you and you're going to, I'm going to give you a choice. You either have I'll change the years. In in the example that they teach us, they tell us 60 years. No, I'll make it 80 years. You're going to have 80 years of absolute happiness. Choice number one, 80 years of absolute happiness, followed, however, by 8,000 years of absolute misery. Or, choice number two, 80 years of misery followed by 8,000 years of absolute happiness. You choose. Allah's mercy is that for those who believe in Allah, Allah doesn't put you in front of that choice. In fact, Whatever suffering you go through, Allah says, I'll send you to earth, and whatever suffering you go through, if you believe in me, on top of your reward in the hereafter, if you believe in me, I will reward you for every second of suffering. That's another way to understand Allah's mutf. Because we often say, suffering, and, and, you know, but that's a creator. And Allah could have created us with a very draconian choice. Pick 80 years now or 8,000 years later. But Allah didn't put us in front of this draconian choice. And if Allah would have put us in front of this Zikonia choice, could any of you have said that Allah is unjust? Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim On verse 20, about the the, the, the topic of Harth al-Dunya, Harth al-Akhirah, there is a hadith um, attributed to the Prophet ﷺ that says, بشر هذه Ummah بالسناء or Rifah والتمكين في الأرض ما لم Yatlubu Dunya بعمل which means um, it's like the, the Prophet says this Ummah, the Muslim Ummah has the promise of Rifa, uh, of being respected and uh, victorious, what Tamkeen fil ard and strength being strong, as long as they do not start pursuing life on earth as if it is a hereafter. Um, uh, it, you know, one of these hadiths that has obvious obvious relevance to our modern condition uh, when the Muslim ummah lost sight of its priorities. Um, I believe that a covenant between it and God has been broken and and you see the results of that. We live it every day. There, there is a, a, um, a Hadith Qudsi that is often cited in the discussions on verse 20 um which um in which hadith uh, qudsi means it's, it's a hadith in which allah speaks but reported from the prophet so the prophet says allah says but it's not a part of the quran um it says ibn adam tafarragh li'ibadati amla sadrak ghina wa asudda faqrak wa in lam wa illa taf'al mala'tu sadrak shughlan Paraphrasing it basically is that Allah is talking to human beings and says, if you dedicate the time to worshipping me, to getting close to me, I fill your heart with wealth meaning I fill you spiritually and I take care, I provide you with the, with the, uh, your material needs. So although you get, there's no promise of wealth, but material wealth, but that material needs are met and your heart feels rich but if you don't your heart will only be filled with restlessness and and anxiety and there's no guarantee that your material needs will be met either um it's among the hadith that you you, you you find particularly in in sufi ask the fasir and they, they often have discussions on it and so on okay let's move on so verse 21 Um, I don't have, I don't have much to say about 21, um, because it simply underscores the same theme of, um, that partners with God, especially in the affairs of religion, Uh, is disastrous and that and that theme will come up again and again in the Quran in different contexts so I'm not going to pause at 21 and with 22 I yeah i'm not gonna pause with this with this verse either uh except it it emphasizes that in the hereafter the the hopelessness and the despair of those that didn't heed the call of their lord so let's go to twenty three ذلك الذي يبشر الله عباده الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات اسالكم عليه اجرا الا المودة في ومن يقترف نجد له فيها حسنة. ان الله غفوراً غفوراً study quran says this is what Whereof God gives glad tidings to God's servants, those who believe and do and perform righteous deeds, say I ask not of you any reward save affection among kinsfolk, and whom and whosoever accomplishes a good deed will we shall increase him in goodness thereby. Truly God is forgiving and thankful. The two main issues with this verse um, first you note that it's something that we will now be familiar with that always iman is coupled with amal salih belief and good actions so belief alone is not enough but it must trend be translated into action. Okay, but interestingly enough this part of this verse that I don't ask you for any reward except al And literal translation would be um, Kindness, how did did, uh, uh, affection among kinsfolk, kindness or um, good treatment, because of our kins kins relationship. Um, Interestingly enough, this part. The, 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 you find a lot written about it, and I'm—I actually—I'm not quite sure why it it engages Muslim theologians so much. Theoretically, I understand the theoretical issue. The theoretical issue is that the Prophet ﷺ is saying that I ask you for no reward. The only thing I'm, I'm asking for is that you be kind to me because we're relatives. In a, in a nutshell, that's what it is. And then they go into these long discussions as to what are the implications of this, whether cheating him kindly because the relatives is, um, uh, um, uh, is consistent or inconsistent with the reward. Um, some even confuse. Although this is a Meccan surah, they start talking about a, an incident that happened in Medina um, b- between the Ansar and the Muhajirin, the the uh, the native Medinians and the immigrants. What is interesting though is is I don't think that the theological issue of whether this is consistent with a reward or not is it's not actually that interesting um, because it, it's not a reward it's like saying you know I'm not I'm not asking for anything all I'm asking is that you be decent to me because we're related but there is an ethical um, a, a subtext here, and something that a number of theologians noticed, that the imperative of the imperative of kindness and friendliness among family relations, doesn't go away because you have different faith. Although the Wahhabis before, whatever they are now, was MBS, who knows what they are. But the, the original Wahhabis, let's say, the original Wahhabis, you know, often say that a difference in faith means that there is no friendliness. No friendship, no kindness, even among relatives. But as a number of theologians pointed out, that the the Quran itself, when it underscores this, it's like saying, you know, you persecute me, as if there we're not there are no family relations between us. The other thing to note is actually um, something I, I I remember reading in Muhammad Afsad's um, a, a translation of the Quran. Um, he translated this in a rather interesting way. He, he said, Al-Mawadda means, I forgot the way he phrased it, but basically that Except our bond as human beings. Um, that I ask you for no reward except that you treat me decently as fellow as a fellow human being. I'm not sure I agree with that translation, just because of the Arabic. Although I understand his logic in in reading al-Mawadda fi-Qurba because he, um, in a nutshell, that there is a basic, as the Prophet says in a number of hadiths, you are all of one father. And the logic of Muhammad, Muhammad Asad followed is that since we are all as human beings descendants of one father then we are all kinsmen we we are, we all have a relationship of kinship and so it would make sense for it to be that you you owe me a relationship of decency as a fellow human being um وَمَنْ يقترف حَسَنَةً لَهُ فِيهَا حُسْنَةً Now this phrase, the, the literal translation again, it sort of uh, loses the nuance in it. Um, and who accomplish and whoever does a good deed, we shall increase him in goodness thereby. This is what the study Quran says. On the one hand, it says that whoever does a good deed, we will increase this good deed. But grammatically, the way it's phrased, when you say, نزد له فيها حسنة, it's very consistent with the general theme of if you take one step towards Allah, Allah takes ten steps towards you. And it's very consistent with the idea that the commission of goodness beautifies you. When you do good, Allah beautifies you. And so in Sufi Ask the Fasir, they write quite a bit about this. And there is where you find a lot of this and similar uh, articulations of the Quran, (coughs) where you find a lot of the writing about the way that doing what is beautiful transforms, has transformative effects even upon your physical materiality on this earth. You become more beautified as a human being. And in other language, you become a human being of light. That when we pray, when the Prophet ﷺ used to pray to Allah, Along that, you know, Allah give uh, make light before me, make light ahead of me, make between my hands light, between my eyes light, make in my soul light, in my body light, in my, in my heart light. The the very idea of the the performance of duty, beauty, beauty, beautifies a human being, and in other words, illuminates the human being. Twenty four. which will lead up to the conclusion of Surah shura towards the end of the Surah. But on the one hand, it says something that we're very familiar with. On the one hand, it says that, you know, there are those who who say that the Prophet, alayhi is making all of this up saying that they don't know what they're talking about, that's familiar. There's nothing different about that. But the way it responds to them underscores the hierarchy hierarchy of the divine in a rather interesting way. So, Let's see how the trends um, And they say it's a uh, it, do. They say that he has fabricated a lie against God. He means the Prophet And then God responds to this by saying, "If God would have willed, God would have put a seal upon your heart." For God wipes out falsehood and verifies truth through God's words. Fainyasha in Fainyasha Illahu Viachim Ala Kolbik. Wayamhullahu botel why hikulhak be canimati. So it this actually some theologians posit this because it's 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 saying if it was true that this man was lying fabricating lies Allah would have sealed his heart but what does sealed his heart mean if you try to to analyze it some said well sealed his heart well he wouldn't get any more any more revelation but the whole point is that they're saying he's lying so that wouldn't make any sense but Allah would have sealed his heart that if it's true that this man was lying about God Allah would have sealed his heart meaning the manifestation of the beautiful human being that you see, that human being that you yourself know as a sadiq, the truthful, and an Amin, as the honest, as a person who exudes beauty, is an impossibility with someone who is fabricating lies about God. But then when it... Now, the part that becomes it moves into the ethical discourses of Islam. What follows after that bi Allah supports truth with His words, with God's words. So, a number of theologians, especially in the, the Sufi tradition, said, well, the main instrumentality, which is consistent, again, with the, the penultimate statement in, in, in Surah al-Shura, the main instrumentality that Allah uses to support truth after Islam are words, which centers back to the sanctity of words. So the first thing that Allah takes when Allah wants to punish a people because of their misdeeds, is that Allah takes the value of words away from their hearts. They no longer appreciate words. Meaning no longer means anything to them. Um, okay, who are the Yakbal Taubata and Ibadi, Wayafu, and his Sayati, Wayah Lamu Twenty five, and it is God who accepts repentance from servants, from God's servants. And pardons evil deeds. And God knows whatever you do. Now, I wouldn't have paused in this verse except for the quote that I want to share with you. And this is from a quote that is often cited in the context of Surah al-Shura and it is from Imam Ali radiyallahu and there is a, a, a man who enters the mosque and he is this man enters the mosque and he keeps saying astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayhi doing istighfar and then he prayed but something about the way this man was saying Astaghfirullah crossed Imam Ali the wrong way. Imam Ali noticed that what this man, the way this man is doing istighfar, was it, the report doesn't tell us exactly what. Other than that, it 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 wasn't sincere. It wasn't real. So Imam Ali tells him, "Ya hada, Tawbatuka tahtaju ila tawba. The way you're saying istighfar requires tawba requires repentance. It's like, your very istighfar requires repentance. So the man said, why? So Imam Ali says, an istighfar yaqa ala sitta ma'ani. True repentance has six meanings or six parts. على الماضي من أن الندامه ولتضييع الفرائض الإعادة ورد المظالم وإذابة النفس في الطاعة كما ربيتها في المعصية وإذاقة النفس مرارة الطاعة كما أذقتها حلاوة المعصية والبكاء بدل ضحك ضحقتها so what are these six? It says if you've missed a then you have to make it up. You would like miss prayers or fasting, you have to make it up. And if you've committed an injustice, then you have to address the injustice. You have to make whole again. You have to compensate or address the injustice by fixing it. وَإِذَاقَتُ النَّفْسُ فَطَعَ كَمَا ربيتها فِي الْمَعْصِيَةِ and you have in the same way that you've built yourself upon sin you have to melt that self in regret وَإِذَاقَتُ النَّفْسُ مَرَادَ تَطَعَ كَمَا أَذَقْتَهَ حَلَوَةِ الْمَعْصِيَةِ and in the same way You've tasted the joy and pleasure of sin. You have to address that with an equal measure of the I'll I'll use the word but don't misunderstand it with the bitterness of repentance. You can't have Fun, 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 and then say, Oh, astaghfirullah, God will just forgive me. And tears instead to replace every laugh you've laughed. Repentance, Imam Ali is teaching us, is serious business. It is not just simply sitting and say, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. It is thinking about your sins, truly regretting your sins, and thinking of what you gained from the sins and erasing any, what, in the language of, of law, unjust enrichment you've gained through your sins. I, I, illicit feelings of joy and pleasure during the sin are just unjust enrichment their feelings you are not entitled to and you must erase them um again you find this tradition was long commentary especially in sufiesque tafsir okay And, okay, so 26, I'm not going to say much about it other than it underscores that Allah responds to those who replace sin with good deeds. وَيَزِيدُهُمْ min <inaudible> that That Allah responds with, with Generosity and kindness. Then we come to twenty seven. Wallau Basotal Lahu Riskali Ibadi Labago Phil Ord. Wallakin, you never will be Kodar in Mayasha in Nahu Bibadi Kabirun Basir. So in twenty seven. Shura underscores something that we encountered already in um, Surah to which we, which is revealed after Is after Shura, but which we've dealt with before Shura, and. The idea that if Allah would have given human beings the riches they covet, injustice would be beyond all imagination on this earth. Whatever injustice you see with as much that God has given human beings, well, things would have been much, much worse if it hadn't been for the fact that God consistently holds back. But at the same time, if, it, if it's a, 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 a question of how much life on earth is worse, Allah would have no objections. Was given human beings all they desire, but Allah doesn't do that because you because Allah saves human beings from their own follies. Uh, Twenty eight. Um, um, I'm not going to say. Um, okay, so. And Allah sends the rain and Allah spreads Allah's mercy and every moving thing on either in the heavens. And notice here, uh, the heavens and the earth. The earth, we know, Deba on earth are all the living things on earth. But what are the living things on heaven? Well, partly angels. But don't forget that in the heavens there could be a the web that we don't know. Um someone showed me a recent um uh uh, that the US declassified its report on UFOs. There, there is no reason to believe that we are it. Allah creates what you don't know. This is uh, 29. وما Uh, 29 is, I'm just curious how they translated Dabba in 29, which literally means whatever walks. Uh, the heavens and all moving creatures that are in the heavens or, er, or earth, yeah, moving creatures. Okay. وَمَا أصابكم مِن مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ ويعفو عَن كَثِيرٌ وَمَا أَنْتُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَمَا لَكُمْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مِنْ وَلِيٌّ وَلَا And whatever misfortune or whatever suffering befalls you, it's because of what you have earned with your own hands. And if you only knew, Allah f- saved you from wayafu an kathir means that Allah saves you from so many of your own follies. Allah is consistently and constantly intervening to actually mitigate what you earn with your own hands. This is true, more true in our age than even. When it was revealed. antum ard This is thirty-one. Uh, the third Quran says, "You thwart not on earth, and you have no protector or helper apart from God." Wa ma antum ard meaning, it's not what you thwart not, but it means. And regardless of how powerful you become, you will never become um, you will never become all dominant. You will never become sovereign on earth. It's like it. you could become very advanced and it could go to your head, but you don't realize how frail and vulnerable you are. And in fact, without God, you have no ally. Okay. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ الجَّوَارِي فِي الْبَحْرِ كَالْآلَامِ إِنْ يَشَأْ يُسْكِنِ الْرِيحَةِ فَيَضْرَلْنَا رَوَاكِدَ عَلَىٰ ظَهْرِهِ إن في ذلك لكل <سؤال> صبار شكور أو يبقوهن بما كسبوا ويعرف عن كثير ويعلم الذين يجادلون في آياتنا ما لهم من محيص فما من شيء فمتع الحياة الدنيا وما عند الله خير وأبقى للذين آمنوا على ربهم يتوكلون. So this is now notice thirty two and thirty three. It talks about um, it, it literally that those that sail on, on the on the seas and that ships that sail on the seas it is because of Allah's mercy and if Allah would have willed either they would have remained static or they would drowned. And so when things go your way keep in mind that it is because of Allah that they go your way which is of course something that all too often human beings forget however in sufi the Fasir, they noticed that this this ayat mirror something that we find in surah al-a'raf we haven't done surah al-a'raf yet but that surah al-a'raf talks about three categories of people those who find allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and move forward and those who don't find Allah and sink, and those who remain stuck in between. And I just want to flag this, just remember it, inshallah, when we get to Surah al-Araf, because those ships that sail on the sea are like those who In fact find Allah and move forward and ships that drown in the sea are like those who fail to find Allah and drown and then there is the category of people who are neither in hell nor heaven are there people who are going to be stuck in between they are neither going to hell nor heaven yes And wait till we get Surah al-Araf. But this is the same category of people who are like ships in the sea without wind or without a storm. They don't drown and they don't sail. They're simply stuck. Now, what becomes of them? What's their fate? How long are they stuck? Neither in hell nor heaven. Let's wait till we get to Araf inshallah when Allah wills. Thirty six I skipped I know but So and again Allah reminds you whatever you enjoy on this earth this is just the pleasure of life on this earth if you only knew what is with allah in the next life is far more meaningful and far more permanent then after 36 surat surah gears up to if what I call the penultimate statement, the 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 the, Okay, so they avoid the major sins. كبائر are major sins. فواحش. What are fawahish Fawahish are major immoralities. Some, especially the juristic-oriented tafasir said, al-fawahish is whatever sin that is committed publicly. But I'm not convinced of that. Fawahish are, are, are major immoralities. Like In some situations, in some situations, raising your, your yelling at your mother, for instance, could be a fahisha. It might be that yelling at your mother is not a kabira in some circumstances, but in other situations, so for instance, if you yell at your mother in a situation where she becomes utterly humiliated in front of everyone, you completely destroy her sense of dignity, then it's a fahisha. If you yell at your wife, maybe yelling at your wife is not a kabira, it's not a major sin, but in some situation, yelling at your wife is a fahisha. Why? If you come, let's say your wife is being honored and in some event or getting her degree, getting her doctorate, and you stand there and you start yelling at her and humiliating her in front of everyone. That's it, fahisha. Don't think like your lawyers. It's not just technical infractions, but there's also immoral infractions. And if they are angry, they are capable of forgiving. Now, again, Surat shura is revealed in the late Meccan period to persecuted people and like Surat Fusilat, it comes and says to them, remember, Surat Fusilat revealed right before Ashura, they were told, treat those who treat you unkindly with kindness, and they will become as if your best friend. Then in Surah Tashura, it comes back to the same theme, and it says, and if they get angry, they're capable of forgiving, to a people who are persecuted, and a people who are going to confront a huge challenge of confronting the hostility and antagonism of Mecca, in open warfare. Will ladina stajabu li Rabbim and those who answer God's call waakamusalah and they pray or that they, waakamuslah and they they pr uh, um uh they consistently pray. Wa amroom shura bainahu and that's where Shura comes in. And from what we've given them, they spend. Okay, I'm going to come back to the Shura, but I want to go through to 40 first. This is now 39. وجزاء سيئة سيئة مثلها فمن عفى وأصلح فاجروه على الله إنه لا يحب الظالمين ولمن انتصر بعد ظلمه فأولئك ما عليهم من سبيل إنما السبيل على الذين يظلمون الناس ويبغون في الأرض بغير الحق أولئك لهم عذاب أليم Okay, let's do 43.2. وَلِمَنْ صَبْرَ وَغَفْرَ إِنَّ ذَٰلِكَ لَمِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ Okay, so now we get to that penultimate section of Surah al So, first, avoiding major sins. Avoiding immorality. you're able to control your anger with forgiveness. Why? So much sin is committed because of anger. So many people commit sin, not because they're bad people, but because they have a sense of grievance. They feel aggrieved they feel they've been wronged. And because they feel they've been wronged, they feel they have a right. That is at the heart of so much sin. In fact, now talking about the the unseen world, Anam al anger, in 90% of the time where demons enter our physical world, they enter through the door of anger. This is my own experience. Not take, I'm not getting this from a book. This is what I've observed. When demons enter our world, 90% of the time, it's because of anger. 10% is all the other stuff. And prayer. But then, right after prayer, wa shura baynahum. Before wa mima razaknahum And before they spend. Now, remember, what did we say about the word shura? What did we say? Shawara al Nahl, meaning the bees, or Shawara al-Asal. The bees produced honey. Shura is a way to refer to a dynamic that produces goodness. Wa'amruhum shura baynahum And they the way they manage their affairs is through shura. We know that bees produce honey from, we, we've already did surah al Nahr, right? Mm-hmm. The way bees do honey is through a meticulous system of mutual cooperation. Bees don't have volition and free will. Their shura is all instinct. It is as if is as if Allah is saying produce your honey. But the challenge is that we have free will. So how are you gonna get human beings to produce honey? when they have free will. It's the other meaning of the word shura, tamkin. Tamkin means that a human being must feel that they have worth, that they have an impact, that they're effective. If you take a human being and you translate to them you don't matter. They're not going to produce honey. They're going to become poison. They're going to derail the process. Yes, I want you to control your anger but here is the secret of how you help the process of controlling anger at a social level. It is through the mechanism of Shura. Without Shura, remember what Surah to Shura kept warning us about, how people divide and break, how people get one message and then they fall into divisions and sects. Why do they do that? Because of their egos. But why? Because of their rancor and anger and spite. So, yes, you must learn to control the anger, but at a social level, what will help you in doing that is that you have to learn to conduct your affairs through shura. Now, forget the jurisprudential debate about whether shura is mulzama or ghurma, That's not the issue. The challenge is how to conduct the affairs of your marriage The affairs of your family, the affairs of your community, the affairs of your neighborhood, the affairs of your nation, the affairs at every level through Shura. What is the procedural process? You figure it out. You want to call it democracy, you want to call it bibliocracy, you want to call it fantocracy, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter. But it is the moral substance that matters. Because then if you have that system of shura where the the rich and the poor both have an input in the ultimate decision making, then you will have, then you will have spending, equitable spending. It is like a symphonic performance. Now, look. Look at... Now, I've just collected some of the tradition, what they say about shura. قال الحسن رضي الله عنه ما تشاور قوم إلا هدو لأرشد أمرهم حسن says that human beings, when every people conduct their affairs through shura, they will always get the most wise result. In another report, Al Hassan, says even more than that: "Ma shawara qawmun qat illa If a people conduct their affairs through shura. Allah will guide them towards what is right. Why? Because in shura is where the intellects with all of the diversity that Allah created come together. In a participatory model where you actually benefit from the diversity and the difference rather than ignore it. Some in explaining Ashura said, No one simply does whatever their opinion is. No, in in other words, affairs of that society is not hinged on the opinions of just one person or one class or one strata or one race or one ethnicity or one gender. And none of them is able to take advantage of the other. So when you find modern Muslims come and say whether Shura is democracy or not democracy, that is not the issue. The issue is if you can create a system that is more Shura-esque than democracy, go for it. But to say that despotism can be consistent with Islam, it's like literally, blaspheming against the Quran. No way, shape, or form tyranny and despotism can be consistent with Islam. Period. And this is why when we refer to the in Sunni Islam, we refer to the period of the four rightly guided caliphs, we say kanat khilafat Shura that this was the Shura period of khilafa, And for a long time, Muslims had the sense to understand that once Shura was lost, it no longer was khilafa; it was mulk. When you find modern Muslims get confused about things that we've gone through centuries of turmoil to learn, that Shura equals just khilafa. Absence of Shura equals murk. Tyranny. And then you find modern Muslims and say, no, it's okay to live under a tyrant. It, 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 it just, it. I don't know what she's say. Haven't they read Surah to Shura? Haven't they studied Surah to Shura? Haven't they memorized Surah to Shura? Then وَإِذَا الْبَغِيِ هُمْ يَنْتَصِرُونَ This verse is another verse. If the Qur'an said nothing else about justice other than that, it would have been enough. Why? Because, let's see how the study Qur'an translates it. 39, And if tyranny befalls them, they defend themselves. Again. Okay. وَإِذَا أَصَابَهُمْ الْبَغْيِ If injustice befalls them. Okay? If injustice befalls them. هُمْ يَنْتَصِرُونَ They have the means to address the injustice. In other words, they have the mechanism to achieve justice. In other words, if you build a society, where you can suffer injustice and there is no means of redress, you violated the Qur'anic command. But the grammatical construction of Surah to Shura clearly indicates that Shura itself is necessary for addressing injustice. And spending equitably is necessary for addressing injustice. So, when you find modern Muslims and you find the institutions of law weak and undeveloped, it's blasphemous. For centuries, Muslims were far ahead of the world in justice. Because they understood if you you could have the khilafa be a mess, but not the judiciary. Because if the judiciary is a mess, if law is a mess, then there's no hope. Then Allah complete completely abandons you. Even that now is lost. But what is more important is that Muslims even just understand the moral principle because Nothing is really completely lost unless you don't actually understand the moral principle anymore. You could lose the institutions, but as long as you don't lose the ideas, you still have hope. But when you lose the ideas, there is no hope. والذين إذا أصابهم البغي هم ينتصرون. they have a way of addressing بغي. وجزاء سيئة سيئة okay. so now if there is an offense, justice means that it should be addressed in equal and proportional measure Mithluha, mithluha, like it in proportion now on the issue so al-razi says هذه الايه اصل كبير في علم الفقه فان مقتضاها ان تقابل كل جنايه بمثلها وذلك لان الاهدار يجب فتح باب الشر والعدوان لان في طبع كل احد الظلم والبغي والعدوان فان لم يزجر عنه اقدم عليه ولم يتركه واما الزيادة على قدر الذنب فهو ظلم والشرع منزه عنه So what Al razi is saying is that this is a great principle in jurisprudence because when you organize society, every offense has to be addressed in proportion to the offense. If there is no ability to address offenses in the first place, justice would be lost. And aggression and injustice would spread. But similarly, if you punish offences in excess to the offence, that is injustice, and that is not accepted in Sharia. That principle, principle of proportionality injustice. We re- we struggle with that. That's why, although in the American Constitution it says it forbids cruel and unusual punishments, but in reality, the Supreme Court has made a complete mockery of that principle. Complete mockery. All types of punishments are way excessive. And, you know, some trials... For the same exact offenses, you you know some people are sentenced to twenty years, some people plea bargain five years, some people get life without parole. It it just it can, be, to actually be committed to the principle of proportionality, is a great challenge, but it is a great principle of justice itself. Okay. wa aslah so now, as a principle, who is ever able to forgive, wa aslah, not just forgive, wa aslah, meaning forgiveness will lead to no further or greater corruption. So it's not a matter of, oh, uh, you know, just forgive. No. If forgiveness means the spread of injustice, that's not aslah. Look how precise Allah's language is. For Allah, الظالمين, Allah doesn't love the unjust. Allah, the, the person, who is addressing an injustice and whoever is defending himself, as the Quran has been said, after having been wronged, that's not a blameworthy person. Where moral blame comes is with zulm. إنما السبيل على الذين يظلمون الناس ويبغون في الأرض بغير الحق أولئك لهم عذاب أليم Injustice either because you are the initial aggressor or because you responded disproportionately to aggression ولمن صبر وغفر إن ذلك لمن عزم الأمور those who are capable within the boundaries of islah, within the boundaries of preserving goodness, who, but those who are able to forgive, to be, to persevere, to forgive and be patient, their reward is with Allah. So, as we saw in Surah Fussilat, But here it's spilled spilled out in far greater detail. Justice is an imperative. The mechanism to establish justice is imperative. Proportionality in justice is imperative. Non-aggression is imperative. Self-defense is a right. And it remains a higher moral objective to forgive as long as it doesn't result in an injustice. For verse 43 there is a story from Imam Hassan radiallahu anh, that is often quoted that Imam Hassan was sitting um, when in his Majlis there were he had company. And a man started got mad at another man. And the the man who got mad started cussing out the man he got mad at. And so the, the man who was being cussed out kept sweating and it was obvious that he was burning, but he was controlling himself and he kept wiping out his his uh, sweat. And then finally he got up and he recited this verse. وَلَمَن صَبْرَ وَغَفْرَ إِنَّ ذَلِكَ مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ فَقَالَ الْحَسَنَ عَقِلَيْهَا اللَّهِ وَفَهِمْهَا إِزْضَيَاءَهَا الْجَاهِلُونَ So Al-Hasan commented when the man did that about the man's wisdom and he said while so many ignorant people did not understand how to implement this verse, this fellow did. The fact that he controlled himself and kept wiping out his tears, and then finally just got up and recited the verse and left. Um, but yeah, the same, the, the discussion, so say, وقد وقطع مادة الاذى وعن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما يدل عليه وهو ان زينب بحضرتي ما كان انهاها فلا تنتهي فقال لعائشة so he's saying that um, that forgiveness is recommended but sometimes non-forgiveness is recommended and that is when non forgiveness is necessary to prevent aggression, and then he says, So, for instance, um, Zainab, one of the Prophet's wives, والسلام, uh, was speaking not very nicely to Aisha in his presence, and Aisha wasn't responding, and then so finally. The Prophet ASS2, kept telling that to stop, to stop uh, saying whatever she was saying, and she wouldn't listen. So finally he's told he said to Aisha, Okay, fine, then answer her back. In other words, tell her off. Defend yourself. Then from forty two to forty-seven. as is with so many sawar, as it approaches the end, it takes you again to remind you of the hereafter. And that ultimately, in the hereafter, those who've heeded what Allah has said will be in good shape. But that those who do not, as the image portrayed here, that they will stand <inaudible> that they their, their heads lowered <inaudible> just, you know, gazing like, like sneaking a peek like they're too scared and too degraded to be able to lift their heads and take a full look at the misery that surrounds them. So they're sneaking a peek. They're sort of, you know, looking like this. A very powerful image to, if you ponder it, you, you, you you do everything to try to avoid it. Um, okay. وَاسْتَجِيبُوا لِرَبِّكُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِي يَوْمٌ لَا مَرْدَ لَهُ مِنَ اللَّهُ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ مَلْجَأٍ يَوْمَ وَمَا لَكُمْ مِنْ This is 47. Respond to the call of your Lord before a day that you're not going to be able to avoid comes. You will have no refuge that day and you will have nor shall you have any denial. This is 47. Then Fain Aradu Fama Arsenaka فَمَا Hafizan Inna Aley Illa al الْبَلَاغِ wa اذا اذقنا الانسان منا رحمة بها وان تصبهم in بما قدمت ايديهم فان الانسان كفور, كفور لله ملك السماوات والارض يخلق ما يشاء لمن يشاء اناثا ويهب لمن يشاء ذكور so 48 spells out what is a running theme throughout Surah Shura. With all that said, when they turn away from you, remember we did not send you as a guardian or a controller over them. Your obligation is simply to convey the message. and Allah knows the nature of human beings and Allah knows that when human beings are doing well being enjoying Allah's gifts they become arrogant and haughty the implication is they start defying Becoming defiant and not want to hear a message, a moral message. And yet, when ill will befall them with the 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 evil that they've committed, they despair and blame everything else and everyone else but themselves. If only human beings would understand that everything on this earth belongs to Allah, Allah is the one that decides who has boys, who has girls and notice here يَهِبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ إِنَاثًا وَيَهِبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ ذُكُورًا إِنَاثًا was mentioned before the court girls were mentioned before boys the reason for that is because Arabs at the time considered girls ill-omen. So it's emphasizing that girls is God's will, and that's why it's mentioned before boys. 50. Um. You study Quran. Couples, males and females, and it's, this is the verse. Those who believe that who you marry is part is predestined, rely on this verse. I don't believe that who you marry is predestined, but those who do, that's the verse they rely on. That that Allah decides who marries um because it says oh, the, Quran and what, in the, 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 the in couples people and, and Allah is the one that decides who still إنه علي حكيم، وكذلك أوحينا إليك روحًا من أمرنا، ما كنت تدري ما الكتاب ولا الإيمان، ولكن جعناه نورا نهدي به من نشاء من عبادنا، وإنك لتهدي إلى صراط المستقيم. Now here in, in 51, Allah says Allah doesn't speak to any human being except through either a hijab, a veil or a medium. Why does it say that at the end of Surat al-Shura. Remember, nothing is like your Lord. It is as if Surat al-Shura comes to the very end and says, in order for this entire project to work, the way I, within the morality that I've said to you, I remind you again, the the temptation will be to imagine that because of revelation, that you can usurp the mantle of God, God's self, the mantle of divinity. But the barriers between the divine although God is closer to you than your jugular vein, and although God is with you wherever you go, but when it comes to to the place of divinity and the will of divinity, the barriers between a human being and the divine are summed up in لَيْسَتَ مِثْلِهِ And then talking to the Prophet ﷺ, it says that it's like saying pay attention that what we are giving this man, what we are giving this Prophet although some of you have said that he's making it up and i've told you that if if he was making it up he wouldn't have the beauty that he that he has and if and not only that but the way allah supports the truth is through words not through the miracles that you're looking for this man didn't know any of what you hear from him. He's lived amongst you till mid-age, till 40-something or at least 40. And you've heard none of this from him. That nur, that light that you are hearing from him now, is sirat al Mustaqim everything that we told you about justice, about everything from justice to prayer to shura to infaq, is a sirat al Mustaqim? It's not some marginality in the faith. its a is al-sirat Mustaqim. But the proof that he is Allah's Prophet is precisely that. Because you wouldn't know any of it. And you wouldn't hear any of it. It is the sirat of Allah, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, And always remember that at the end, everything inevitably returns to Allah. It's like saying, "Never forget that whatever you do, whatever the way, whatever way you handle these messages." The the, the constant reminder that it all ends up with your Lord. al So, Surat al-Shura is led up to by Surat Fusilat, who tells us in Surat Fusilat the importance of roles every part performing its role. You cannot succeed if all of you want to be leaders. You cannot succeed if all of you want to be followers. You cannot succeed if you are doing jobs that you are not competent in doing. As we said with Surat Fasilat, it is precisely the specification of the importance of roles and the underscoring of the basic ethics that guide the performance of roles, but the message itself is incomplete without Surah Shura. Because Surah Shura, if I would paraphrase it, it's like saying. I think, go back and 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 reread and rethink surah to and you'll find that the core of surah to Shura is the mechanics and dynamics of justice. Justice in justice in its larger sense, which includes a society that is able to produce goodness, a society in which the dignity of a human being is upheld and the value of it as a human being is upheld. And all of this I emphasize to a people who were persecuted. But because the Prophet ﷺ was there with them, when we study the traditions around Surah Shura, we find that the Prophet ﷺ remarkably was able to get them to get their mind off their persecution to focusing on the importance of the of internalizing the moral lessons of Surah Tashura. And Surah to Shura then not for just the time of the Prophet but it the the whole cause of Shura, which was the rallying cry of so many rebellions in Islamic history, including the rebellion of Hussein by the way the the himself. That the the main accusation against the Umayyads is uh, that by shura that they that they've destroyed the shura it it wasn't just take our opinions and then ignore them if you wish what they meant by shura is the entire concept of a moral order and a just order Alhamdulillah <sighs> Rabullah